Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Marco Sen Podcast, the show where I bring on some of the most talented and successful people from the Ottawa area, and I pick their brains on how they became so successful, and then we also tackle a different subject every day. As usual, if you have any specific guests you want me to bring on the show, or if you have any topics that you want me to mention on the show, please leave it in the comments below, and I'll do my best to make it happen. Today, we're talking about mortgages and how this pandemic is affecting people's ability to get financing and mortgages for properties um, around the Ottawa area. And our guest today is, of course, a mortgage broker, but he also owns his own lending company. He's a part owner in a real estate office here in Ottawa, and he also is a financial advisor. And he has one hell of a time living life. Let me tell you that. He's always traveling as well, working, literally doing mortgages from anywhere in the world. And I'm very excited about this episode because I feel like there's going to be a lot of value, a lot of things you can take away from this. And uh, yeah, guys, I'm just so excited. Let's dive right into this. Let's not waste any more time. And I have the pleasure of bringing on Brock Frost. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number two of the Mark Gosen podcast. Mr. Brock Frost, how's it going, brother? Hey, man. Number two, who was the first one? Who was the chosen one? It was, it was Matt Gibbs. It had to be. Oh, that's true. So Matt Gibbs, that makes sense. I was going to say. All right. So for the viewers that don't know who Brock Frost is, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself, um, how you came to be the mortgage broker and much more that you are today? Um... I guess I'll start with, yeah, so kind of like the mortgage broker and the investment thing, it, it kind of found me. So when I started, when I was a young pup like you, Mark, at like 25, I, you know, I started traveling the world and I traveled for like five years nonstop. And then I kind of, when I came back to Canada originally to do laundry, I realized that, you know, being free was part of who I wanted to be and needed to be. And therefore I needed a career that would allow me to be free. So Becoming my own boss was more or less, it chose me. And then you look at different options of careers that allow you to work from anywhere and choose your own hours and where you can make some really good coin as well. Kind of led me into real estate uh, investing. And then, you know, a few years later, I got um, falling into the mortgages as well. So it's like, you know, I mean, you're an entrepreneur, so you know, like, you know, so there's so many things that we couldn't do. Like you and I couldn't do a nine to five. We would die. We would melt. And some people couldn't do what we do. And it's like we, as a person, you have to find out what it is you're meant to be and kind of find a career that suits who you are at the core. So like everything that I do is it goes in line with who I am and, and kind of the lifestyle I want. <clears throat> Love it, man. And talk to me a little bit of how you were brought up. Like, do you feel like the way you were brought up had anything to do with, you know, your drive or your success today? It's a good question, man. I, I don't. Like, I grew up pretty average house, a, a small town out of Cornwall, Ontario. Like, the house is probably worth 160 grand today. Uh, you know, I had student loans like anybody else. I uh, basketball and the, and the school sports, and yeah, I really. Uh, I don't know. You know where ambition comes from. I think I don't know where it came from, but it's probably deep down. Uh, uh, you're kind of born with it. And, but, uh, you know, humble beginnings, so to speak, makes you, you makes you drive, right? I had a pretty good childhood, but sometimes when you come from humble beginnings, you realize what you, uh, you know, it kind of makes you hungry for more. Right. I was never given anything. I came out of college with debts and, 
you know, the, the same thing. And just with this kind of passion for an aggression for, for just getting more than I, you know, more than I had, I guess, you know, how'd you know? I've never, never handed any. Yeah. How'd you know you were going to be a mortgage broker? Like I know you were doing real estate, like you mentioned for, for a little bit. What, what was the transition? Like what caused that transition? Good question too. So like, so in real estate, so I, I first started as being an investor. So when I, when I, when I was thir- I'm 38 now. So when I was 30, I actually bought my first investment property ever. I was coming back from five years of traveling. Said I got to do something. I'm 30. I have nothing. I bought my first rental property with a line of credit as a down payment. And I bought 20, literally 20 more in three years, just using a variety of tricks and techniques. And I said, well, I might as well, since I'm investing in real estate, I might as well. I love how you just like, just literally 20 in three years, like it was nothing. Yeah, but it just because you had like this goal, right? Like you had, like I could do it again when I was three though. I was like, I had this thing. I was like, I accumulate properties, almost like a monopoly mentality, right? Where I was borrowing everything. I'm like, I, sh- I could, I could line up all 20 in a row and how it all worked. Like boring down payments, vendor take backs, you know, every little trick in the book. And, uh, and then I said, well, I might as well get into real estate, get my real estate license. Never was a great realtor, uh, to be honest. Uh, I didn't really like it, uh, even though it's part of everything I do every day. And after seven years of being a realtor, I said, oh, let's just get my mortgage license and see what that's all about. And it just skyrocketed. So I've been doing mortgages for three years and I have made more money in mortgages in one year than I ever made in seven years as a realtor. Um, it's just sometimes it is a different beast, man. And just like there's a lot of realtors and I like yourself, I don't think you can like a lot of good realtors couldn't make good mortgage brokers and vice versa. It is a, even though it's a similar industry and it's customer service and sales, it's actually a different beast. Mortgage is very um, problem solving. It's very, it's a lot of numbers. It's uh, memorizing policy. It's thinking outside of the box where real estate is kind of a, a grind where you got to be a good promoter, do things like you're doing right now, promoting your brand where the actual success for realtors is not even about the real estate itself. It's about building that brand. It's a, it's a huge marketing gig for real estate. Whereas in the mortgages, it's like, if you're a, if you're a good problem solver and you understand policies and numbers, you can actually be a good mortgage broker without being as good as a marker as a realtor. So, so yeah, like now I don't trade, I'm a licensed realtor, but I, I don't do deals. I don't trade. So you mentioned one pretty unique thing right there is like being a mortgage broker is all about thinking outside the box. And I know you've built yourself a brand here in Ottawa of being that, that mortgage broker that thinks outside the box and get those, gets those impossible deals done. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you built that brand and what it is exactly about thinking outside the box and those absolutely hard deals that, that, cause I know you love that stuff. Yeah. So to me, it kind of just felt naturally as weird. When I got my license, I just started talking about the deals that I do. So a lot of deals that would come to me, I, I knew from being an investor, I almost learned to be a mortgage broker indirectly by being an investor. Like if you're buying, I bought 20 properties in three years, starting with a line of credit, you actually had to learn the game just by wanting to accumulate properties. So you know, I, I kind of understood all angles. I understood the real estate angle. I knew what a realtor wanted and did in a transaction. I really have a passion for law and I really understood what a real, the, the lawyer was involved with. And then you look at the financing side and I can just kind of, I could see all angles. So when a, when a deal came to me, I can instantly see what the angle is on this deal. 
So it just kind of happened just naturally from experience where the deals I was getting, uh, I mean, every broker gets a lot of deals that, that are, that require creativity, but some people, uh, just don't get it done. And then I just started posting about them, right? Like here's another scenario, another scenario. And then it just, it kind of blew up and yeah, they, you're right. Like the brand, I didn't know what I was doing with mortgages. I didn't know I was either going to like it or be successful and just people were calling me like, Hey, you're a, you're the, I heard you're the magic guy or you're the creative guy. Like, I'm like, I guess, I guess so. That's how we <laughs> met. Like, actually. Let's make it, let's <laughs> make it work. Well, exactly my point. Like, it's just, uh, that's how I met, originally met with, uh, with Trevor. I remember I was in Costa Rica, man. Uh, I'm sorry, in Panama. And he calls me. He's like, you know, I see some of your posts. I got this file and we got it done. Like the guy got turned down by a bank. We had to, you know, tweak a few things and got it done. And then just, and then now a lot of my business is, is just referrals. You know, it's just people like, okay, call this guy. Cause you got turned down the bank, call this guy. He'll get it done. And it's not like all this private lending. Like I can just, I can get a deal done with the same lender that, uh, another broker might not see because there's so many different angles and policies and mortgages that sometimes you just need another set of eyes on it. Absolutely, that's really what it comes down to. You need there's so Mark, there's so many rules and so many variations that uh, most of the deals that I get done that others can't is just because I saw an angle that others didn't. That's really what it comes down to. That's awesome, man. Now I know a lot of people are curious, so you gotta you gotta give us one of the craziest deals you've ever done. Like straight out of the hat. Uh, fucking straight out, man. Which one? Do you want? Which one do you want me to? Uh, I'll try to pick up a, a most recent one. Actually, well, most recent as it ties into our current market. So a guy bought a, a new build two years ago. This was, this one closed on uh, April thirtieth. So like, that's why it's fresh in mind. A guy bought a uh, <clears throat> new build two years ago. He paid five eighty five put 40 grand down. So with the builder deposit, it was closing April 30th on April 15th because of COVID lost his job. Mortgage got canceled. Right. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. And this is a normal story. So also the property had gone up to 710,000, $710,000. The property was now worth because it was two years before. So I explained to the client, I said, look it, we had to go private financing for this one. A lot, I mean, most of my deals, just so you know, are still A-side. It's just the cool ones are sometimes private or whatever. Yeah. This one, this one's private. It just happened to be private, but not all my creative deals are, most of my private, uh, my creative deals are still with the A-lenders. But what we did this one, I told them, I told the client, I said, look it, we have to get this done no matter what. If he walked away and didn't close, he loses that 40K but he also loses that 125 K in equity that he's built wow. just from locking down the contract. It's gone up that much value. Right? So I said, look at, if you walk away, you get zero. Right. But if you close, and I told him, I said, look, we're going to do this private. So what we have to do is I had to get a mortgage that would be secured against the current value, not the purchase price. So I had to get a money based on seven ten, which would be enough to pay the remainder of the purchase price to the builder. And then he would put it right back on the market for sale. So that's exactly what I did. And he realized that, look, it's going to cost you about 30 grand probably in legal fees and lender fees and all that stuff. But the alternative is you're losing 160. Yeah. Wow. So he's a smart guy. He was an engineer and he told me, well, he totally understand. So what we did is I arranged a first mortgage of about 560 
I personally lend, like one of the things I do uh, quite a bit of now is private lending. I lent him on the back end. I lent him a second mortgage of 110 grand personally. So I arranged the first mortgage. I lent the second. I think the first was uh, something like four. What was it actually? It was 475. I'm just looking at my notes here. Yeah, 475. I lent 110. There was a 40K deposit. There's lender fees, legal fees, appraisal, whatever. Close the deal. Probably is back on the market now for 709 or something like that. Wow. So this is a story where this is a story where you look at a scenario, right? That's why I love this kind of like private lending or the creative stuff is that if he didn't close, nobody wins. He loses everything. The realtor doesn't get paid on the sale. I don't get paid. Lender doesn't get paid. Appraiser doesn't get paid. Lawyers don't get paid. And now by doing this deal, everyone's happy. Right? By doing this deal, he's going to come out with at least 100K. 100K, I'm going to get paid. Realtor's going to sell the house. Lawyer's getting a deal or two deals, the purchase and the sale. And everybody's happy, right? Everybody is better off because of putting together the creative deal. Nobody is worse off. So like in hindsight, if I told this client, like if he came to me with no job, I said, well, don't buy a property, but you bought a property two years ago. I didn't even know you two years ago. So these are the things where like, I'm people come to me with problems. I didn't create those problems. I'm just finding the solutions. And that's the value, man. That's, that's how you built that brand. But it was great. Like he's just, he was very thankful. You know, I think, you know, he's messaged me, his family messaged me. I met him. I brought him a gift. Everybody was out. He's like, you saved me. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put a hundred grand in his pocket. He's going to sell the house. And he's going to regroup, he's going to get a new job and then buy again. Those are, those are great deals, man. I get paid well to really solve problems. That's awesome. And, um, well, we, we put together a couple of deals. You and me yeah, we put myself. some Hail Marys together for sure. I mean, we, we put a couple of uh, juicy ones. Yeah. It's part of the business, yeah. man. That's the rush. You know, there's nothing, there's no better feeling than thinking you're going to lose a deal. And then the last second somehow comes together. So let's transition over to, this whole COVID-19 situation, man. First of all, how you been, how you been coping with this? How you been, what have you been up to? Yeah, I'm really busy still. Like I'm actually having a, like I'm really busy still. Um, on pace for last year, probably. Um, so on a personal level, I'm good. I'm a bit stir crazy. I'd like to head to Japan or something like that. But I'm, uh, I mean, business-wise, it's it's really strong. Now, what you're starting to see, I mean, you're probably going to lead up to it, is like you're seeing a lot of the changes with the type of deals. The lenders are really cracking down. So, you know, one of the things you're always seeing now is, um, you know, like income is a big one, right? So now the first thing that anybody asks, any lender asks is, are they actively working? Yeah. And every lender now wants income documents upfront. Upfront, no questions asked. That's their policy. And I'll give you an example. Like, let's just say your example. So, in two months ago, a realtor, for example, their income would have been qualified on the last two previous years. So, if you came to me in March, I would have said, "Yeah, you know, what's your 17 and 18 income look like?" Blah blah blah. Because you haven't filed 19. Yeah. Right now, it's going to be. Is he a realtor now? Show me commissions now. Is that on top of the past two years or just now? Yeah, so what they're doing, Mark, is they, they'll still use the, the last two years to qualify, but they want to cross-reference it with active income. Got it. 
So let's just say you had a really good two years. If you can't show like actively that you're really producing, they're going to look, they're going to probably decline the deal. And in, and in good, and in good reason. I mean, a lot of people are being laid off a lot of like, don't come to me with like, like contractor construction restaurants. If you worked at a restaurant previously, I mean, they know the lenders know it's closed, man. So income is really big, uh, being a big problem really affecting the, the mortgage world. Um, Appraise, appraisals are uh, you know shit show. Uh, can I swear on your show? Is that Absolutely. possible? Yeah. So appraisers shit show, and you think about it. So you know, let's just say you're trying to appraise a a rental property. Then tenants are like, well, we're not letting anybody in. We're scared. Or then I've seen appraisers not even want to go into the property, or sellers not want anybody in their property. Yeah. So what you'll see is like these drive-by appraisals, and now appraised values are going lower which affects the amount of financing you're getting, which sometimes relates to deals falling apart. Like what if you needed uh, your refinancing and buying a property, right? So you're going to refinance, pull out equity, use that as a down payment on the other one. Well, if the refinance, if the value, appraised value comes in less, you might not get enough money for the down payment on the one you're buying. Wow. Right? I've also seen deals many, many times. A typical scenario I'm seeing, Mark, now is someone has sold, and I use the word sold in quotations because it was firm, but it didn't close. Those sellers have also bought. The buyers for the sale lose their fucking job, now can't close on the sale. The sellers needed that money for the purchase. That's happening too. I've I've witnessed that as well. That happens all the time, man. All the time. And what happens is the sellers have to relist the property. And now during COVID, it's 15% less. Now they don't have enough money for their down payment. Now their purchase is affected. And now that seller is affected. And now it's a domino of shit. So what's, is there a way around that? Is there, is there anything that... Uh, I see this a could, lot, man. Is there anything you can recommend to like a buyer or a seller? Well, you kind of... Obviously, you can't control everything, but limit the chances of something like this happening. Yeah, so that's a great that's a great uh, point actually. Um, one thing I would do is if I was representing, if I was a seller, okay, and I'm selling my house, really get an idea of who's buying your house. What do they do for an income? So if I was selling my, well, actually, when I sell my house, even pre-COVID, I put in the agreement, sell uh, the buyer will provide proof of financing on or bes- on or after a, by a certain date. Because as a mortgage broker, I know how many times financing has been waived or there's not even a financing clause where financing dies. They don't have financing. They think it's a pre-approval and it's useless. I just want to cut you off there because that's a very important thing you just mentioned. What an actual pre-approval is versus what most people think a pre-approval is. Okay, so a pre-approval is basically fuck all. So, I mean, it depends on who's doing it. Most clients who say I've been pre-approved, what that means is nothing. They've probably gone online or called their bank and they said, how much do you make? 80 grand. How's your credit? Good. You're okay. You're approved. What a real approval is, is you have a broker or somebody review full documents. I do. If I say you're approved, like with the client, the deals that we've done, that means I have, I have in my possession all income documents. If there's existing properties, I look at all tax bills, all mortgage statements. I pull your credit. I look at all debts. Because I know what the lender is going to look for. I know what a lender will say yes or no to a file. 
because the dangers of a pre-approval market, if anybody's actually listening, the danger is that I could submit a file right now to any one of my lenders who I have a relationship with, with no documents provided up front. I could do a file on you and say, Mark Hussein is the prime minister of Canada earning a $750,000 salary. And, you know, I pull your credit and submit it. They would not request any documents up front. They would then issue a mortgage commitment to you. You would waive conditions because you think you got an approval. And most people don't realize that every approval in Ontario is conditional. It says, okay, we've approved you based on what you submitted. Now prove it. And then when I cannot prove you're the Prime Minister of Canada making 750000 a year, your file is declined already after you've waived conditions. This wow. is about 15% of my business. 15% of my business is cleaning up bullshit from, from essentially brokers or banks who approve people who shouldn't have been approved. To clarify that, because I know there's a lot of people that have confusion. They think they're pre-approved, but yeah. when it comes down to it, they're they're not. They're they just like you said. Someone so, asked them some so questions. What I would do online. as a realtor, as a realtor, Mark, is when you speak to your client and you say, "Have you been pre-approved?" The client's going to say yes, and you know, don't challenge your client, but just say, "Okay, great." So you've like provided all your documents to your broker, and and you know, you've pulled your credit. Make sure that what they think a pre-approval is is actually like a very thorough approval, and not something they've just done online. Because what you're going to find is that you're going to enter into this agreement. You're going to allow your clients to do a firm deal, right? That may or may not close. And then A, it's wasting your time. You're not getting paid. And you might even be liable for not doing your due diligence and verifying that there's actually a real approval. Awesome. So before I cut you off there, you were talking about what you would recommend sellers and buyers do to kind of limit the chances of something like that happening? Yeah. So for a seller, I would definitely uh, ask for a bigger deposit. Okay. Because if, you know, someone's deal falls through, at least you have a bigger deposit to fall back on. I would ask for proof of financing and I've done it. I've put it in clauses and in Quebec, they actually do it this already. They say you need to show that you have financing because again, look at an interior, you can buy a house without proving any financing. You can just say, I have financing. That's all it is. I mean, you have to prove it. Like that, that is crazy. I still, I find that so bizarre that that's allowed in our law where you can just say, yeah, you know, I could, I could buy a million dollar house right now with my fingertips just on DocuSign. Yeah. No financing and you're approved and I'm obligated to buy it. Like that's crazy. Yeah. With no proof of anything. That's Especially insane, like if man. they got misled or something, you know, into. So I'm saying like, you don't know. So as a realtor, you know, you just want a firm deal and your seller and you know, I think you're doing a disservice to your seller if you're not looking further into who is buying your property. Are they in the construction business who are not back to work? You know what? Maybe they don't actually have financing and their broker is retarded on the other line. Like d dive into it. Okay. I, I would also, I mean, if there's an appraisal required, which is a lot of, put it in the contract that the seller or the tenant or both allow access to for an appraiser to the appraiser because if it's not in there if you just put financing and wave it and then you need an appraisal after what if they say we're not allowing access put it in there always whether you need it or not at least it's better to not need it than to go the other way right exactly and then bump up your closings man i mean i mean it's getting a bit better now i think in the market but like a month ago i was saying bump up your closings before you get laid off 
or the appraised values are even less, bump your closings up. So I still think that's a good idea. If you have clients, some clients can't move their closings, but if you can, bump it up. It's best to get it done now, uh, you know, before you risk the deal falling apart. And is there anything buyers can do, like um, who have no choice but to buy a house during this whole pandemic? Like, is there anything they can do, you know, to to enhance their chances of getting approved, essentially? Yeah, so what I would do, okay, the best thing a buyer can do in COVID or no COVID is get your documents up front, okay? Like buyers, if there's ever a delay in a closing, Mark, 85 to 90% of the time, it's because of the buyer, like the borrower themselves, where they're disorganized, they don't have the right documents. So get that up front. And the more you can provide like your broker up front, the less chance you have of any deal falling apart. And what you don't want, like, I mean, man, well, like, you know, uh, young first-time buyers buying a house, you know, they got the U-Haul lined up. And then because of they can't get the right documents, their deal's delayed. And that's very stressful for me. But I'm looking, we're very clear. I said, look, we need all of these things. And we hound them. And my assistant hounds them for documents. Get your documents up front all the time. 100%. And when a broker asks for a document, it's not because I want it. It's because we need it, because the lender asked for it. Right? So that's, and then also verify with the employment. Like you really got to, in, in this day of age, um, you know, talk to the employer. I, I know there's, I mean, I mean the, the examples are endless where, you know, a client might be laid off soon might be scaled back to homework, like the w- working from home, where their position may change, their salary may change. Really dive into, you know, because lenders will verify your employment now and pretty much to the day of before closing. So let's just say an example. Like, you know, you do a deal, market's closing August 1st. I get all the income documents up right now. I get all their documents. They're good. They're up in front. I pull their credit. Boom. Submit it to a lender. It's good. Commitment. And then a month later, after the commitment's been issued, the sales signs on the property, their job changes. They get laid off. They go to part-time. They're going half on employment insurance, half, half working. The lender will call the employer the day before closing to ensure there's no changes in the income. And again, when I, when I do with my clients, we have full disclosure so many times over. That's saying, you know, here's your approval. In bold, do not change your employment. Do not change your credit. Do not change your debt. We remind them, don't change. Let us know if there's any change. Boom, bomb. Now, clients still do it. They still sabotage themselves. But really, I mean, just really look at the situation and, and, and see that, you know, if there's anything that could change, there's no point of getting your, yourself into a deal that you can't close. And as again, as a realtor, I wish realtors really – you know, realtors are really gung-ho on doing deals, which is a part of their job. It's great. And they're aggressive and, you know, ambitious. But if you can understand a little bit more of the, not you, but in general, both the process or potential problems with the financing, you can, you can better serve your clients and, better, and be a better realtor. Like if, if you were, like imagine like you knew your client was going to be laid off a month before closing. You know the deal is going to die, Matt. So what's the point of doing the deal? Or at least say, or at least tell your client, you know what, 
you know, if you're being laid out, there's a potential this might be a problem. You've got to really verify with the broker that this may or may not still work. So for a buyer, you're back to your question, buyer, get all your documents and just really, really look, kind of, kind of plan. Again, if you have rental properties involved, make sure your tenants are allowing access, um, you know, to your properties. Uh, yeah. What are some common mistakes you see a lot of, you know, buyers that are looking to get a, like a, a mortgage make? Like I'll, I'll, I'll start with one that you mentioned to me um, was when people, you know, they get a pre-approval done and then you specifically tell them not to take on any more debt and then they go buy a brand new car or lease a brand new car two weeks later. Yep. I've, I've had that uh, many times, man. I've had that uh, numerous times. Uh, I've had clients literally get divorced before closing and now have alimony <laughs> payments, uh, uh, child support payments. I've had, I had a client go bankrupt after going firm. Wow. After going firm and prior to closing, prior to closing their bankrupt. Wow. That's crazy, man. So I know there's a lot of changes happening right now. Some new rules, some new rates. Can you give the viewers an update on that? So rule of this quickly on the rules is that, um, Basically, to the income is really becoming an issue. Okay, so solid income and, and 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 verification of active income is a big one. So expect like a full scrutiny of every industry, man. Okay, I've even seen deals being declined where the client is actively working, but the lender thinks the client will not be working before closing. Wow! Like they're like they're literally betting on the market, and it's crazy as a broker. Like, look at I've proved everything. They're actively working. Here's a pay stub from yesterday. Yeah, but we think they're going to be laid off. That's craziness. Uh, you're going to see lenders scaling back the loan to value, meaning lenders who are lending less money based on the purchase price of the appraised value. They're taking less risk. And what that means is they think the, the values are going to go down. So they're reducing the risk. Um, and then in terms of, uh, you know, you're also seeing types of income not be allowed. Um, a lot of... Uh, a lot of self-employed income now. A lot of self-employed income is uh, not being allowed. Uh, business income, um, basically any business income is really scrutinized now. Not that you can't get the deal done, but it's just harder and harder. Um, also, uh, yeah, with regards to rates, so rates are just constantly moving up and down, confusing the entire public. Um, what you're seeing, what current the current market is variable rates are low. Uh, the Bank of Canada has reduced their rates considerably. Uh, this brings down the variable rates, so you're going to see a lot of low variable rates. People always think that Bank of Canada reduces it, therefore banks reduce it as well. Not really. So Bank of Canada, well, normally, but not always. So Bank of Canada, when they reduce the rates, the variable rates have gone down, in, you know, in sequence with generally the Bank of Canada. But with fixed rates during COVID, you've actually seen them increase. And what this means, this is to offset. So banks are predicting kind of a collapse or they're predicting a market correction. So what they're doing is they're offsetting future risk that they see with higher rates. So they're banking more profit right now in order to offset what they think are future defaults. So that's uh -huh. why the fixed rates 
are higher relative to the Bank of Canada. So clients are very confused. They're like, the Bank of Canada went down. Why is the fixed rates going up? That's exactly it. They're banking profit now in expectations of defaults. Okay. Wow. So one last question before we go into the quick five and I'll let you go. Um, I know you also do like some finance, you give some good financial advice as well. Um, for those people, you know, that are just starting their career fresh out of college, university, or um, someone that, is, you know, has, has a lot of debt in their 50s, um, what advice can you give them to kind of build their credit again and be able to eventually um, afford to get a mortgage and, and a property? What are some things they can yes. do? Yeah, so credit and debt, man. I mean, I'm a big believer in debt. I mean, debt is bad for two reasons. So debt is expensive, first of all. So if you have a bunch of unsecured debt, and I've seen a lot of files, a lot of debt, that's just, that's just dead money, right? Paying interest on credit cards and lines of credit is dead money. That's money that you could have saved if you didn't have that debt. Not to mention having that debt affects, affects your ability to borrow money. The more debt you have, the less you can borrow as a mortgage. There's two major, you know, problems with having debt. With credit, I mean, without credit, you can't you can't leverage. Canada is a great country, uh, you know. Canada is a great country where you can build wealth from credit. You know, when I, you know, for example, when I started buying, I bought twenty properties in three years. If I had bad credit, I couldn't have even got started. So protect your credit like it's a child. Protect your credit, but also yeah, get rid of the crap debt. And, you know, I think it comes down a lot of times to the, the psychology of our, our country. I mean, I've always, I, I promote a lot of the Western, the Western flaws is, you know, we're consumers, man. We just buy so much crap, crap that we don't need, crap that we don't even want. We're trying to impress everybody, not realizing that it's actually killing our own possibility of, of, of building wealth. And I see it in people that are 50 and 60. And I always question, I say, what have you been doing your whole life? No, and I don't say it as I try to be an asshole. I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually saddened by what I see is you, you know, you know, a person with a good salary, perfect credit, who has a very low net worth and no savings because they've just been spending like you can live a good lifestyle. I'm not a cheap guy and I have an expensive lifestyle, but it's set up in a way. First thing is I don't, I don't buy shit that I don't want or need. And I don't have debt. The, the thought of, of buying something on a credit card is, is not even something that I can fathom. Like, you know, like, you know, I, I go, I, I was, I'll give you a great example. I was in Home Depot the other day maybe a month ago and I see this garbage can and it was a garbage can where you could finance it over six months. And, and the, the fact that that even has a sign means that someone spent money on that sign, meaning that they're not going to spend money on that sign unless they think someone's actually going to take that offer. And our society is just based on what is the weekly fucking payment then? And that's how people with good income get in a trap because they really never sit down and think about how much they're actually paying in, in these costs and lenders love it. They look at your report. You have three pages of a never miss payment. Add more debt on that. 
because you're going to make your payments. You just, because you're always thinking of what is that daily payment or weekly payment, you know? You buy area rugs now. You buy a fucking car over 11 years. The car is dead and you got five more years on it. That is just the wrong mindset. So like when I take a trip, man, I always prepay my trip on my credit card. If I go to the airport, I got a 5K negative balance on my credit card. It's because I don't have the mindset of carrying debt. It is, it, it, it hurts my soul. And if you're able to deal with that debt, I mean, a lot of people just are so, they just think it's normal. The majority of my files, if you had to summarize kind of like the three categories in Canada, it'd be good income, no savings, high debts. That's the general average file. And it, it's just very, I don't know if the word sad or discouraging or something. It's like, and I don't blame the people. Like my post the other day, I said, it's not, it's not your fault. I actually posted this. I think it was yesterday. I go, it's my Facebook post was the harsh truth. And I said, it's really not your fault. Our society consistently rewards poor financial decisions. Right. 100%. You got a cool car, right? You got a, you got a Ferrari mark. Great. You're paying it over 12 years at 9%. Doesn't matter. You got a cool car, man. You got a bunch of crap in your house. You got a really cool vase and stuff. You know, nobody ever asked you, you know, what did you put on your credit card? Look at realtors, man. Or look at the salespeople. How much commission did you gross last year? It doesn't say how much did you pay to CRA. It doesn't yeah. say how much did your net worth increase, right? It's We give an award based on number of ends, number of commissions earned, right? You make 500K. You're a hero, but you paid 300 out the door to CRA and another 100 in expenses and you're broke. Yep. Our society doesn't teach us anything. So most people are just doing the best they can, not realizing what they're doing. It's, it's normal because everybody else does it, but it's not right. So if, if you have a piece of advice in one sentence to those people or anyone in debt on how to build it up so that they get out of that cycle, what would it be? my biggest advice is change the mindset. And I know that's a vague statement, but change your mindset. If like, second, anytime you think about buying something, second guess yourself, question it. Is this right? Do I think it's really the best. Mean? Yeah. Just the, just the broad, like even, and maybe it will be a good move, right? Like if you're investing in a stock or buying a car or buying a, a garbage can, right? Don't, impulse just think about it for a second take your time and a lot of the times you'll actually realize that it's just kind of you're fulfilling this urge by buying but if you just stop and think you might realize that you don't need it or it's the wrong move or it's not now so you know our our society is based on now 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 convenience 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 if we can get in that mentality of just you know challenge or question yourself i think a lot of people would be better off I had a guy, a client, this is a great example. A guy had a million one house in, uh, in Manatech. He had about 190 grand in debt. I'm talking credit cards, lines of credit. He was two years, he had a lien on his house from CRA. He made him and his wife 280,000 a year. He had perfect credit. And he's like, fuck, bro. He's like, I don't even know how I got here, man. I had to refinance his house and pay off his, see, I don't even know how I got here. I said, bro. 
Look at the $60,000 dock you got in the back. Look at the boat. <laughs> look, at the, look at the Porsche. Look at the Escalade. You know, he's got alligator skate shoes and all this shit. I said, that's what you're a consumer, man. Literally, I'm talking a guy that makes 280 has a million dollar home mortgage to the max. His net worth was a, is negative. I, you know, you're in your mid forties, you make, you're making 300 a year and your net worth is negative. You're doing everything wrong, but you look the part. That's the key, right? He's looking great. Slick hair, nice shirt. Oh, he's looking the part. He's looking the part. And that is the, that is the majority of people. You can look the part, but not do that. You, you just invest first, spend second. Don't spend first. Cause then you'll never have enough money to invest. So maybe that's my lesson. Love it. Invest awesome. first, spend second. Because the opposite does not hold true. That's awesome, man. That's some good advice right there. All right, let's dive into the quick five questions. You ready for this? Okay, bud. Number one, what's the first thing you're doing when this whole pandemic is over? I'm going to the fucking Ottawa airport, bro. And where are you traveling to? I'm serious. Like, if If the government said... Okay, tomorrow we're opening up the borders, but only to people going to Burma. Well, I guess I'm going to fucking Burma. <laughs> so what's one thing that you realize that you're grateful for now that you took for granted post or pre-pandemic? That's a good question, man. Um, it's been a really good time to reflect. And, uh, you know, like every day I have my routine. I go, for a, I go for a walk. I live in Westboro, so I go for a walk up and down Richmond, have my coffee. And I just like... I think I, I think I took for granted just the, the ability to just enjoy the simple moments. And I think it's something that we all probably lost because, you know, Western life, man, what it is about, it's chasing those alligator shoes, man, make more money, buy a bigger car. We're so fast paced that this pandemic has really reminded me that being, slowing it down is pretty fucking relaxing. It calms the mind. And I'm a big believer, like I'm 38 now. Mental peace is just becoming more and more and more of a priority. Next question. Where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? To be honest, man, probably uh, retired or semi-retired. I mean, I'm a lifestyle guy, man. The, the the thought of the thought of me working to like, you know, chasing a pension and fucking, you know, living all that's not my style. That's not my style. I, I love to, I, I love, uh, I love what I do and I love influencing people, but I want to, I want to do it while traveling the world and, you know, maybe have a couple of guys like you. How old are you? I'm 26. So you're kind of the exact example where I'm 38, but I'm thinking by no later than 45, I'll be done. But you know, I can, I can never leave the game, but I want to pass the torch to a couple of guys to run the entire empire business. Right. But you know, like just having two people that could run myself. So I can, I, I can see myself being all over the world. I mean, I'm now, but living all over the world, have enough passive income to do whatever the fuck I want, not desperate for deals, not needing deals, working because I truly love it. Not because I want an extra paycheck. And then delegating to a couple of people like yourself, where it's kind of like a protege, man. I can see my, like, I didn't start till I was 30, man. Like I bought my first property at 30. So eight years ago, I built it from 30 to now. Um, 
And I can see a lot of, and I like the, the you know young guys like you, man, where I can see a lot of myself where you're starting out and you're hungry and I get it. I've been there. So that when I, you know, when I'm in 45 and you're 35, I can pass the torch. So that's where I think I'm going to be everywhere and anywhere. <laughs> I'll gladly take the torch, buddy. Let me just say that right now. Okay. <laughs> what's uh? what's so a good, what's that? I'm fucking interviewing you, bro. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what's a what's your favorite business related book that you would recommend people read what's one book that really had a huge impact on your career as an entrepreneur interesting um i just actually the one good book man is it's called the monk who sold his ferrari and it just fits with my lifestyle so this is about a very high powered lawyer who had all the bells and whistles man alligator shoes the cars the women the dinners prestige the image right and he just got fucking tired of it and he literally sold his ferrari and his home and he he went into like a spiritual camp in the himalayas and became a monk but he found mental peace and serenity and it's a story of of self-betterment where you and again i think canadians are so bad for that where we just we constantly chase the wrong thing um, and not knowing, or we chase money with no end, right? Like a lot of people want more money, but why? For what purpose, yeah. right? You want to climb the corporate ladder, but why? Right, but why? We have no real direct re- reason for it. So I can see myself, like I literally uh, love that book because I can see my, like there's no way I'm going to do this forever because my, I mean, I've never been happier before compared like when I was a broke traveler, I was never, I've never been more at peace no matter how much money I have now and clients and properties. I'm I was, I'm still not as happy as I was with that fucking. So I know that I have to return to that. Cause at the, as you get older, you want peace and serenity. Um, so that, that is a great book for people struggling with which direction they want to take their life. Monk who sold us for Iron Man. Love it. Last question. Question number five. What legacy do you want to leave behind? A legacy. That's a good, good question, man. These are tough. Uh, a legacy of this guy lived. This guy like did it all. Like I think a lot of people, again, especially in Canada, they just go through the motions of life, but they're not really living. They're, you know, they work at their, I mean, Ottawa's a big government jobs, you know, a city. So they go to their government job. They're, they're taught this, you know, chase the pension for 65 and then they realize they're 65 and they get there and they're like holy fuck i passed all that time and now i have just an average pension and they just give up give up life i want people to say on my death i'm like fuck man that guy's been to every fucking country he's done every job he did what he said he was going to do he lived he jumped out of planes he jumped off of gondolas he went swimming with sharks but at the same time he made a bunch of money and he helped people make money and he helped people be better that's the legacy, man. I want everybody to think that, that guy truly fucking lived his life. Love it, man. That was awesome. Where can people follow you? Oh, fuck. Brockfrost.com, 613-316-8740. Facebook. I don't use Twitter because I really don't know what I'm supposed to do on it. Uh, LinkedIn is only for people with resumes. I haven't had a resume since my paper job when I was 14. <laughs> Facebook, man, and my website, that's it. Or through you, man. There you go. 
Mr. Frost, man, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to do this, buddy. Look forward to seeing you when this whole pandemic is done. Maybe we'll have a couple drinks. On me, man. You keep crushing, man. You're doing well. I'm proud of you. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for doing this, man. Have a good day. eh? Take Take it easy.